Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. Amen. 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 While you remain standing, one of the first duties, privileges, responsibilities, and demonstrations of power is for the church meeting together to pray. And this week, we saw a measure of victory and direct answer to prayers and putting action to those prayers as the World Health Organization uh, did not receive, and in fact, the Biden administration's 12 amendments that we're suggesting the World Health Organization have regulatory control over every sovereign nation's health uh, system in times of pandemic. And those amendments were rejected. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Um, it will be revisited again, and there will be another vote in November. So we have to continue to remain vigilant. But that is definitively an answer to prayers of many Christians in this nation, and we thank the Lord for that. I want to welcome all of our friends and family uh, watching online. And would you stand where you are at home and let us pray together for our nation. God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Captain of hosts, and precious, powerful comforter, teacher and guide, Holy Spirit, we beseech you on this day, this memorial day, a day of remembrance of sacrifice and victories in war as the church gathers together under the greatest symbol of war and heroism and victory even in death under the shadow and symbol of the cross. As the church of Jesus Christ alive in the earth today, we join together across this nation and even around the world and make intercession for our nations. And we here today, Lord, pray particularly for America. We pray, Lord, turn us again to the foundations which are true and good and sure. The very Judeo-Christian foundations that are clearly displayed in our national founding by our forefathers. Lord, turn us again, we pray. The psalmist said, come, Holy Spirit, recreate the earth. And as we approach and enter into the season of Pentecost, Lord Jesus, when you poured out the demonstration of your victory in the greatest battle and gave your spirit to men and women on earth without measure, we pray, Lord, come, 
and recreate where the walls have been broken down, where hearts and minds have been emptied and filled with darkness and angst. We pray, come Holy Spirit, recreate hearts and minds. And today, Lord, we welcome you into our own heart, our own mind. And as we look upon our nation in the coming days and hear the conversations and see the struggles and triumphs of our communities around us, God, give us wisdom, discernment, knowledge, understanding, power, might, and the fear of the Lord that we might offer true solutions as salt and light in our generation. And so today, Lord, as we recognize and remember and give thanks with honor and dignity for all those men and women in American armed services that have laid down their lives, that have put aside family and loved ones, that have even sacrificed a future legacy and name and generation by laying down their own lives, that have left limbs and parts of their heart and mind on the battlefield. For them we pray and for their families. And as we gather together unto you today, we pray that you would enrich the communion of your church and your saints in memoriam and in power for all that you are, all that you've done, all that you will do in and through us for your glory only. We pray for America. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the veteran and not the poet that has given us freedom of speech. It's the veteran, not the campus or protest organizer who has given us freedom to assemble. It is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the veteran and not the politician who has given us the right to vote. It is the veteran who salutes the flag, who serves under the flag. Veterans Day observance has its roots, actually, as we've heard already some today, in the First World War, when finally, after four years of incredible cost and toil and devastation involving 12 allied nations, two-thirds of the world's national populations, and finally, after four grueling, terrifying years, the guns fell silent. It is not lost to us as we see 
the images uniquely coming out of Ukraine day to day and week to week of the terrors and devastation of war. For the American and much of the Western population, the last time we really had images was not the Rocky Freedom or Desert Storm or any of the more recent conflicts. It was the Vietnam War. But even Vietnam was only a shadow of what was fought and lost and won during this nation's civil war. Friends, we have a proud and valuable legacy and foundation. And when we realize that moments like the terrible tragedy that took place in Uvalde, Texas at Robb Elementary this week have begun occurring in the last decade of this nation, we have to ask ourselves, have we dropped the torch and allowed our generation to become unmoored, separated from truth and honor and dignity and a sense of identity that is able to give people a compass, to be grounded in family and faith. Indeed, where we have exiled God from our public schools and from the public square, it should not be lost to us that those are the two main places where Christians have allowed secular powers to push us out, we have withdrawn, and the presence and message of the only saving, transforming word has left a vacuum, a void, that is being progressively filled by powers of darkness. And so today, it is not just for Americans, but it is for Christians to recognize we have been handed a baton, a baton from many generations that stretch indeed all the way back specifically to the cross and to the first Pentecost and to the Great Commission. And as the Lord has given us prophetically the word engage, engage your Bible, Engage your local church. Engage your community around you for this year. We know that our commander-in-chief, the captain of hosts, has called and anointed and commissioned us to restore the old foundations. And so this day is significant. The First World War was called the Great War. In that time, it was called the War to End All Wars. But we see that indeed... It hasn't. But it shook the foundations of the old empires and caused national boundary lines to be withdrawn, to be, to be redrawn, sorry. For the people living in that time, like the people living through the travesty of Syria or the aftermath of our withdrawal from 
Afghanistan. Or what's happening in Ukraine. Or what happened in Uvalde. For the people in those moments, in those places, it seems like a chapter out of the book of Revelation. The end of the world. But in that first war, when the armistice was signed and peace came, it came at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. When in 1918, the armistice was signed November 11th at 11 o'clock in the morning. We heard Flanders Field and saw some of those images. Sung, written by, as Michael shared with us, McRae, a doctor, a field doctor. And in the days ahead of his departure for the war, Dr. McRae wrote to his mother. He said, I am really rather afraid, but more afraid to stay at home with my conscience. And so he went. An American from Georgia, a professor and humanitarian, Hearing and being inspired by McRae's poem, Flanders Field, who was actually the daughter of a Civil War veteran, a Confederate Civil War veteran, wrote a responding poem called We Shall Keep the Faith. And Moya said, I read the poem, which I had read many times previously, and studied its graphic picturization. The last verse transfixed me. It says, to you, from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders fields. And her poem says, Oh, you who sleep in Flanders fields, sleep sweet to rise anew. We caught the torch you threw, and holding high, we keep the faith with all who died. We cherish, too, the poppy red, that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders fields. And now the torch and poppy red we wear in honor of our dead. Fear not that you have died for naught. We'll teach the lesson that you wrought in Flanders fields. Realizing the need to provide financial and occupational support for veterans of the war and their families, 
Molina, I spoke her name before, Molina, became known as the poppy lady. And she pursued the idea of selling silk poppies as a means of raising funds to assist disabled veterans. Imagine. And it caught on. It caught on first with the veterans and families themselves. And it spread to Europe. And so now, in the commemoration days in the US and across Europe, the red poppy is worn as a symbol of catching the torch of everything that those who have given the ultimate sacrifice have done and what it meant. One of the interesting bits of war trivia, though it's not trivial at all, that I learned recently is that Vietnam veterans, which we have in our midst still, their statistical history is, and this may surprise you because our media has never portrayed this as such, but we have to wonder what was still resident in a generation that Vietnam veterans have the least statistically of the displays of post-traumatic stress disorder, the fewest suicides, the most gainful employed that go on to create a life and a family in this nation. And I think and contrast that to what we hear now and I wonder what kind of foundation we are giving to our new generations who choose to serve in our military for these old values. And whether we are allowing them through us to catch the torch that should still burn brightly for honor and truth and dignity. Because these things are the very threads and fabric of an identity that allows people to grow strong and flourish with their head held high and their eye on the prize in a nation, in a new generation. The armistice of 11, 11, 11. And of course, it calls to mind for us, Isaiah 11, 11 where the Lord says, I will set my hand again the second time and recover the remnant of my people and establish them. And so in memory of all of these things today, it is our prayer. Let revival come, Lord. Pour out your spirit on a remnant of people who might catch the torch from the cross to the grave, to the resurrection, to the throne, to the outpouring of the Spirit, and planted in their nations might be that shining light in this hour. Might be the ones who have a solution in their hearts and minds and mouths in this hour. The first two-minute silence was held in London 
the year following the signing of the armistice on November 11th. And it was reported in the Manchester Guardian on November 12th. The reporter recalled the scenes of the streets of London. And he wrote, the first stroke of 11, because you know the clocks, and particularly Big Ben, would be striking 11 times. The first stroke of 11 produced a magical effect. The tram cars glided into stillness. Motors ceased to cough and fume and stopped dead. And the mighty-limbed dray horses hunched back upon their loads and stopped also, seeming to do it of their own volition. Because, of course, in those days, loads were still borne by horse-drawn carts through the streets of a metropolis. Someone took off his hat, and with a nervous hesitancy, the rest of the men bowed their heads also. So see what a small gesture that is connected to a true demonstration of honor and valor and dignity can do in a community, in a moment. Someone took off his hat, and with a nervous hesitancy, the rest of the men bowed their heads also. My mind calls to, uh, to mind images of a single ball player who stood alone on the ball field rather than taking a knee during the national anthem. A small gesture has a big vo voice. With a nervous hesitancy, the rest of the men bowed their heads also. Here and there, an old soldier could be detected slipping unconsciously into the posture of attention. An elderly woman, not far away, wiped her eyes, and the man beside her looked white and stern. Surely they were personally connected to the memory of those dark days of sacrifice and loss. Perhaps a son, perhaps a nephew, a neighbor, a brother, lay in Flanders Field. Everyone stood very still. The hush deepened. It spread over the whole city and became so pronounced as to impress one with a sense of its own audibility, that silence. It was a silence which was almost pain, and the spirit of memory brooded over it all. I believe we have a recording of the sound from the battlefield when the armistice was signed and after four years of continual shelling and bombing and death, the guns fell silent.
and immediately nature itself let out a sound of hope and promise of the possible life to spring again from those fields of death. This morning, without planning it, we heard that recording at exactly 11.11. We did not plan it that way. I will set my hand again the second time, says the Lord, to recover the remnant of my people. I would like for us to spend two minutes of what may seem to us as we've grown accustomed to being very noisy in our lives and our culture, but to spend two minutes in silent memoriam, renewed dedication, thankfulness, remembrance, gratitude, and recovery. And in these two minutes, may the prayer of our hearts rise to heaven for all who have served and lost loved ones and left treasure, limbs, hearts of hearts and minds on the battlefield even though they have returned. And I'd like to ask all that are present here and at home that have served in our armed forces to stand in our midst at this time as we observe two minutes of thankful, thoughtful remembrance.
And would you just stretch your hands now towards these who are standing and pronounce a prayer, a blessing on these and on them as symbols of all who have served and do serve. Father, we thank you. And we remember with gratitude and recognize today these and their service. And we do honor and recognize that in their willingness to lay down their lives and face an unknown enemy in unavoidable and unpredictable circumstances, they went ahead. We bless them today and their family members. And we do pray for each of these and all those they represent, them and their families across this nation and around the world today. And pray, come Holy Spirit, comforter, guide, teacher, companion, the one who comes and fills the empty place. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in our generation as witnesses and messengers, that these who serve and have served will not have served in vain. In Jesus' name, all the people said, amen. In Revelation 19, Jesus is described <laughs> as a conquering warrior. And it says in verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Say faithful. And true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. We can see still today that wars, however they come about, end up being that smelting pot that judges the hearts and motives of men. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. These may be symbols or metaphors. They may be realities. But we know from the context of Scripture that the soldiers, the veterans in the armies that follow the great warrior, clothed in linen, clean and white, these were not angels. These were Christians, saints, down through the ages that had laid hold of the torch of the gospel and had allowed it to burn bright in their hearts and minds and in their lives without letting it drop to the ground. 
and had entered into their reward. And now in that great parousia that the Apostle Paul describes as the conquering warriors of Rome that they knew so well of in those days, when they would take a region, they would come home to their home city with a great parade, a victory parade, with all the symbols of the spoils of war, both natural and human and animal. And they, the people of the town would run out to welcome and celebrate the homecoming hero and escort him into the city. This is a picture of what it will be at the end of the age. And whether we are with him coming on those white horses that I believe, like the white horse Jesus is riding, were also a type and symbol, and maybe more than that, but certainly representing in the power of the Holy Spirit, we ride forth with him. For even Jesus, it said, he offered himself up by the Spirit. And we know it was the Spirit who came to reanimate and raise him up in a new body in the resurrection. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. For he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. In righteousness he judges and makes war. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. That's good news. That is good news. Praise the Lord. And then it goes on to describe the conflict with the beast, the Antichrist, the spirit of the age, ruling through men and systems on the earth and their armies at war with this one who is our conquering hero. Look in your Bibles, 2 Samuel 23. And beginning at verse 8. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adonai, the Iznite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Aholite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. Makes us think of the famous story of P.F.C. Martin from North Carolina, who in World War II, during one of the great final retreats, and all of the Allied forces were falling back in the face of the advance of the enemy. And as they were retreating, one private first class from North Carolina decided he had had enough of backing up in the face of the enemy. And he stopped and began to dig a foxhole for himself to take cover in while he would resist the onslaught of troops with his life and last bullet. And as the tanks loaded with 
retreating soldiers pulling out began to pass by this man, one lone man digging a foxhole. One of those tanks stopped and the nephew of the famous Will Rogers was aboard that tank and he said, soldier, what are you doing? Who are you? And Private First Class Martin replied, he said, I am the 82nd Airborne. A very famous regiment still today. One man said, I am the 82nd Airborne. He had something in him that had been trained and disciplined and labored and worked into the fabric of his identity that was all of those things that the 82nd represented. And it did not represent defeat, retreat in the face of an oncoming enemy. And it was those values, that mission, that vision that rose up in his fabric and he said, Enough is enough. And in fact, he said, and this is as far as those bleep are going. And that one man's demonstration of courage and truth for righteousness caused that first armored tank to stop and turn around and pull in behind PFC Martin. And as the... Continued retreat occurred, tank after tank, troop column after troop column turned and built the resistance. And friends, that was called the Battle of the Bulge, where the war turned. Imagine, the nations and destiny of nations turned on one man's courage and clarity. May God allow us to catch the torch of courage and clarity in our lives in this hour. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. We're still talking about Eliezer, the son of Dodo. He attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. And we notice that holy men of old, moved by the Holy Spirit, recording these past events on the battlefield, attribute these victories to the God of glory in whom there is no unrighteousness. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. Remember the cave of Adullam? Gathered there were all those who were in debt and distressed and discouraged 
the great 3D remnant. They gathered to David and they said, David, this is where we take a stand. We are bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. It reminds us of the words of Ruth. As she clung to Naomi going back into Bethlehem, not knowing if they had a future, leaving home and family and all that could possibly give her security, and clinging to Naomi, going back in great faith, became one of the mothers in the lineage of the Savior himself. So she is, in a way, our great, 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 great grandmother, a Moabitess. So they came to David at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the, garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem, David's hometown. The whole enemy army was camping there, probably for a reason. In the same way that currently Vladimir Putin is determined to encamp his ensign, his banner of victory in certain cities and territories of the Crimea to say, this is my city, not yours. In this case, the Philistines had chosen Bethlehem to say to David, you don't have any inheritance here. Probably in your life as well as mine, the enemy will come and he will encamp in the center of your family, your heart, your business place, your children's school, our nation's capital, saying, this is my territory, not your inheritance. And I believe that today marks the day when we, with PFC Martin, dig in and say, anybody looking for a safe place, pull in behind me. Anybody looking for a safe place, pull in behind me. And they did with PFC Martin. So it says that three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. The troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well in Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Imagine that. He wasn't asking or commanding. It may have just been under his breath with that longing look, that countenance on his face recognizing that an enemy had encamped in his very home city and had taken over the high places, the gate, the place of authority, the place of entrance and exit into the city itself. They didn't belong there. And then David remembered when he, as a child, as a young man, in from long, hot days in the field looking after the sheep, would come by that well in the evening and get a refreshing drink and simply 
with perhaps an almost inaudible sound. He longed for a drink of that water. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. And we can stop right here because I believe that our Savior, from where he sits himself in the throne of heaven, has given us all the drink continually that he is able, that is the Spirit of God who is in us, to drink continually. And what does he long for in return? That that water would pour out of us into other empty vessels and pour back. That he might be refreshed in the great victory of the greatest battle, the battle at the cross. Where he cried out with his last breath, it is finished. So they brought it to David, and he himself wouldn't drink it. Rather, he lifted it up, and we don't have the words here, but just imagine there in that moment what this act did for all of those discontent, in debt, discouraged men that had gathered to him. They saw something in their commander-in-chief when he lifted it up as an offering to the God who gives victory and poured it out on the ground. In reverence for all who had and would shed their blood on that ground in the coming days to fight to regain their inheritance. And so today, we also lift up the cup of memorandum, of memorial, to our Savior for what he has done and on this day, to all of the servicemen and women who serve and have served, who've left life or limb on the battlefield. And David said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. In Matthew chapter 10, And beginning at verse 32, we find a therefore. And our spiritual father, your spiritual grandfather, always said, when you find a therefore in Scripture, see what it's there for. And what this is there for Jesus is telling his disciples 
that they are going to face every kind of opposition. But it's not because their heavenly father's affection and attention is not on them. That in fact, he knows how many hairs they have on their head. And he is encouraging them not to be afraid. And he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So this is a call to attention, a call away from cowardice or fear of man. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Indeed, a word that extends from his mouth and cuts between very flesh and spirit, bone and marrow, dividing between light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And more than that, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And then he quotes a parable. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever, say whoever, gives one of these little ones, what little ones? The ones who have laid down everything and taken up their cross in clarity and courage until he comes. Those are his little ones. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And so we think of David's mighty men, and that cup of water they drew from the well at Bethlehem. And today, we gird up our loins to thrust in that cup of salvation that we possess and fill it to the brim and overflowing with the person and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we might offer it to all who are thirsty that they might also be cupbearers to the king of glory until he comes. Amen? And in memorial of 
the victory that was won at the cross. There are two things, dramatic things, things that are as dramatic as PFC Martin saying, I'm the 82nd Airborne. If you're looking for a safe place, pull in beside, behind me. Those two things, one is what we witness today of these three in water baptism. They have made a stand. That baptism tank was their foxhole where they dug in and laid down their life in the death of Jesus Christ. And now, though alive, each one of you are dead. Dead to sin, dead to your past, dead to the influence and power of the enemy. Alive only unto Christ. The second thing is every time we take communion, Jesus said, do this as a memorial. Remember me. Enter in again to what happened on that cross and take for yourself not only healing and forgiveness, but courage and vision and empowerment and identity that you might catch and carry the torch of the Great Commission. Because as he said, you are, say I am, the light of the world. Say it again. I am the light of the world. Those are the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus. And so, on this day, we are making a fresh commitment to engage. Yes? Yes. And I would like for you just to stand. I want to welcome Hank Rooney, Joey Parker, and James McMillian, who all have a bit of inspiration. Yes, I want you to stand. Welcome them. You can welcome them with applause. <laughs> Gentlemen, if you would, come and join me. Rich, if you could help with microphones. Welcome them as they come. Rich, I, w I want them up here. They're going to come here. Yeah. They're going to come up here. Come on up here, gentlemen. Come ahead. And Hank will pass the first baton to you. And we've asked these guys to share just a little bit of their own experience in reference to service in our military. Manny, God bless you. Um. The first thing I have to say about joining the Marine Corps, it gave me an opportunity to meet Pam. Because I went in my dress blues. You may be seated. Sorry, Hank. Yes. Watch it. <laughs> and I met Pam, this is like 65 years ago. And after five dates, I got home from Okinawa and we got married. We didn't have any counseling, nothing. But that goes, I'm off the, off the message here. I love the word that pastor has given the last two weeks about engage. Because I think what I learned in the Marine Corps was to engage, to get connected as a team with the training that I received. Along with engage, as part of it, is to get Discipline in your life. 
we had to have discipline in our life to work as a team. And I think we need that more today than we did even back then. And that's a long time ago. So those are the two big things. But even in the military, I had opportunities to do things. I was in Okinawa for a period of time. And I remember a group of, uh, well, enlisted, they were putting together a Christmas time for two orphanages in Okinawa. And they were, these orphanages were for Eurasians. You know what I mean by Eurasian? It's an Okinawan person with a, a Caucasian or black person. And they were Eurasians, and they were really put aside. So these Christians started these two orphanages. So these group in my group, they wanted to do something for them. So we, they, and then they asked me if I would be like the spokesperson or the MC. And we, it was just reaching out to these young people. Okay, we're Marines and all that, but it was reaching out to these young people and what an honor that was and to reach out and just bless these young people. And I see that even today in what we're going through. We need to honor and lift up young people. That's something else I learned back then. I'll t um, so I don't want to take away any more time. But I think I learned discipline was a big thing, and engagement, and teamwork was so important. Um, we come to church every Sunday, just about. I bet 99% of the time we're here. That's discipline. Um, I, I think if I was dead, Pam would get me here some way. <laughs> I would not have any say in the matter. She would get me here. But I think that's something I learned. It's, it has stayed with us, stayed with me, and it stayed with both of us. So I, that's what I kind of learned. Uh, discipline, honoring, being a team member, and respecting whatever rank the person was to respect them and honor them. I ran in the Navy when I was 17 years old. And at 17, going in the Navy, you learn to become a, a mature person really fast. And one of the main things I learned, I just repeat after Hank, was discipline, respect, and honor. And uh, being in the Navy, I was able to see, went to many nations. I went to some of the poorest nations of the world. I went to wealthy nations. And I saw the poverty of nations. And I went to nations that didn't have the freedom of speech, that didn't have the uh, right to assemble and worship. And from my own personal experience, I can say from experience, there's no nation in the world like this nation. There's no nation like America. And uh, that's why I hate to see people burn the flag. I hate to see people kneel at the national anthem because those veterans and every soldier gave their life so we could kneel at, at the flag, so we could you know, burn the flag. So they shed their blood for this nation. And 
this nation is a great nation because of God. And it's not because of us of pride, but because of what God has done for this nation. And uh, a while back in the early 1980s, I was in Rock Church, and I got a chance to meet with many of the military officers that fought in Vietnam. There were about 10 or 11 of them, and uh, each one said this. They said, we won every battle in Vietnam, but we had to give it back the next day. And they, they, they was handicapped by the rules that the present administration gave out. And uh, they said that over and over. Mm. And uh, so what I like to do, I like to give a shout out to every family member that lost someone in Vietnam. I like to give a special shout out to every Vietnam veteran that is alive today. And I have the most deepest respect and honor for the Vietnam era veteran, but not only Vietnam, but for every veteran. God bless America. Amen. Amen. And Joey, can I, can I just, would you mention, and I, I appreciate you are such an example of some of the very basic things that are needed in our nation. When you went in and served, there was a great degree of prejudice. And you didn't even mention that. To hear you. you stand with such honor and valor to the true principles, in spite of the way that you were actually classified, if you will, or treated at that time. Would you mind just saying a word or two about okay, that? Uh, in the Navy was the last branch of service to become desegregated. In 1970, it was an admiral named Admiral Zumal. He, and up to 1970, if you went in the Navy, you could only, if you were a person of color, whether you were black, Filipino, you could only be a cook in the Navy in, up to 1970. And uh, what happened, the law changed, but people's heart did not change. And uh, so it was a lot of prejudice in the Navy but we overcame that prejudice. And out of learning respect and honor, I learned not to become a victim, not to look at the bad, because I can say this, and this is the honest God's truth, for every person that did something that was racial, there were three more people that stood up, I'm talking about white people, and said, we're gonna do what's right. We're gonna make sure you make it. I'm with you, I'm on your side. So I don't look at the bad, but I look at the good of those people who stood up and did what were right. And that was my experience in the neighbor, and that have been my experience in America. Wow, that was awesome. Well, I'm standing here to represent um, three of my sons. We had six children and three of them served, one for the United States Army and two for the Air Force. And with them serving, my wife and I, we went to every, um, you know, the boot camp graduation. The, and the most powerful thing that we saw, we watched our young teenagers, the young boys transition to men. And it was a powerful thing to see because each one of them were unique 
different young men. They had different attitudes. They had, they were all totally different. But one thing we did see with the graduation from boot camp, that they transitioned into men. And uh, for us, it was a, a powerful thing. And I just remember the tears of my wife as, she, as we went to the graduations. I was like, honey, we did it. They're gone now. They're out of the house. And she would just look at me and cry. <laughs> but um, it, it was a proud moment to see our, our sons um, go into the armed forces and serve in the military. And they did well. And uh, we're very proud of them. We had one son that did two tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And they're still um, great American citizens as we go today. And we're proud of them. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that uh, when I was in the service, I was in Okinawa, and I had to get a top secret clearance with access to crypto, and the FBI notified my parents to tell my neighbors that I'm not in trouble when they came investigating me, because they were all wondering what I did, and I didn't do anything. <laughs> and then I served in uh, Okinawa, and like Bonnie said, I'm from New York, and us and the black fellows that we had in New York, when we got in the service, we stuck together. They stuck up for us, and we stuck up for them because they had problems with people when we were down south. We had a few friends that we went into uh, places to eat, and they wouldn't let them in, and we would not allow that. So we went in with them. If they kicked them out, we went out with them. We all stuck together. And I want to say that uh, we had to, I had to do a lot of communication stuff with the top secret and crypto stuff that we had to type up. And everything had a secret cover sheet. And no one was allowed to lift up that sheet unless they signed for it, no matter who they were. Could have been a general, cannot lift it up until he signs and picks up the papers, then he could read it. And we learned uh, a lot of discipline that way. And I did pull a 45 on one person one time, because I had a right to shoot him, that he picked up that secret cover sheet and was not allowed to do it. And I told him so. And. Uh, Lieutenant came in and balled him out up one side and down the other. And uh, we just learned that we had to protect the United States. Thank you. I just want to say that um, I joined, well, I'm also a native New Yorker. <laughs> I um, joined the military when I was 17 years old. Uh, straight out of high school. Uh, and the job that I did was training a company how to protect themselves against a nuclear, biological, and chemical war. And there's only one person in that company that has a job. So it was only one of me. 
that was my responsibility to train 265 people how to protect themselves against a nu nuclear, biological, and chemical war. And uh, I tell you, that takes a lot of oh, strength, takes a lot of um, training. Uh, you get a lot of backlash because of what they have to do. Uh, they have to train two times out of the year, and uh, they have, we have a suit that we, we used to wear, and it's a chemical suit, which is a charcoal suit on the inside, rubber booties, the mask, the hood, the whole get up, and you have nine minutes total to get everything on, nine minutes. But the hard part that I had to do to help them was the main thing to get on was the mask, and you only had 15 seconds to get that on. That was out of the carrier, on your face, cleared, sealed, hood down, zipped, 15 seconds. And that would determine whether or not you were able to put on the rest of your equipment. And if you didn't make the, six, the 15 seconds, I was responsible for training them and we would have training, and I would t train them and tell them go or no go. So no go means you didn't pass. And it didn't matter what your rank was because it was only myself and it was my job. So I took my job very serious. In fact, I really was supposed to be in the Gulf War, but I got out with one of my children. I was really supposed to be there, um, but when I, got pregnant the second time I decided to get out. But the, stu the people that I had before that, the company, I made sure that they, I did not pass anyone if they couldn't do it in 15 seconds. And I believe that really saved a lot of people's lives because I was one of the ones, integrity, not allowing anyone, I don't care who you were, what you did, you were not passing if you could not get your mask on in 15 seconds because that depended, that was your life. That was it. So I spent six years doing that and I also was training with the infantry and during that time that I did join was also when they were transitioning the women into the service. So to train with the men. So I was part of that um, little program that they had all the women doing. And they tried to take us out of the, that job when they realized that the women would be on the front lines. They tried to take us out. Uh, and I did sign to go into the medical field, but my orders were kicked back, and I ended up having to spend the rest of the time training everyone to, uh, to do and protect themselves against whatever type of war that would come. So I had my own team. I had the company, my team. I also was in charge of ammunition. So I just want to say it was a very challenging experience, but I loved every moment of it. And to see teamwork and to make sure that everyone in, when we do our job in the service, that we are doing it to the best and that we are protecting this nation, no matter what, no matter where we are, whether it's in war or in peacetime. We're still on guard and we never sleep. Can I say One thing I forgot to mention, um, and I, I know I can speak for everyone up here, 
when we went in the service, our primary goal was to defend the Constitution. That was our goal. Whatever our MOS or whatever we went into, especially in Okinawa. I didn't know you were in Okinawa. Um, so I say that in this day and age, what we're going through, the Constitution, they're trying to break it down. You take the WHO, they're trying to break down what liberties we have in our country, what our Constitution stands for. At the same time, it's not just the WHO that's been meeting in Switzerland. You've got an economic forum, and there's a group of elite, wealthy people are trying, I don't want to go into the detail, they're trying to rule over how we spend our money in, in every country. They'd be speaking for us. You have the banking uh, convention going on, again, in Switzerland to try to come with a World Bank. So there's a lot going on today to break down our Constitution and the freedoms that we have. So I just leave you with this. We are all here to defend the Constitution. And I think we really have to be bold and speak out when we see people trying to take away our liberties and what the Constitution speaks for us. Amen? Amen. And Hank. Just lead us. Let's pray today regarding those things. Just lead us in a prayer for our nation, for the preservation and securing of our Constitution as it is written and meant to be. And you're also welcome to throw in a couple of arrows of victory towards those meetings that are now taking place. And by the way, and Rich, you'll appreciate this because when you spontaneously prophesied over Switzerland, if you remember that, just uh, Sunday before last or last Sunday, two Sundays ago, um, I got a message from our friends, the Kellers, uh, who have the Schleife community just outside of um, Zurich in Switzerland and their international European leaders conference is going on right now and they actually had text asking our guidance on praying together regarding these big issues regarding who and Davos and all of these other events that are happening in Switzerland so there was a powerful and very living prophetic connection with the wider body of Christ in that strategic area in that nation from this church from the watch prayers together arcing right into Switzerland and I, I thought you would really appreciate because I shared with I had shared with them after the service about the ring of fire that Rich saw settling around the believers in Switzerland and how Switzerland would be used uh, among the nations particularly in Europe as uh, hopefully a return to righteousness so the church in Switzerland was meeting um, right at this crucial time and joining with our faith and prayers on these things. So Hank, if you would lead us. I would. I'd like to say one thing. The word engaged is stuck with me for the last two weeks. And when I read that one out of three Christians did not vote in the last election, that is equal to 25 million Christians did not vote. Look what would happen in our country today if even half of them got out and voted. We should be 
engaged in the election series and get out there, get informed, and find out who you should be voting for. A lot of us don't do that, I'll be honest. So we stay away from voting because we don't know what people stand for. But that's part of our responsibility as far as being United States citizens. I don't mean to be hard, but it's the truth. It's the truth. We have, the primaries are pretty much over with, but get engaged and get out and vote come November. Would you do that? I didn't hear many yeses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to follow each one of you up <laughs> in November to see if you got up there. But that, that that's all awesome. part of our Constitution. We, yeah. If we don't vote, people are going to step in and do what they want to do. And they don't like the Constitution. So we have to, we have to take a ground, a stand a ground. We have to be a team. I pray right now in Jesus' name. Pray, I pray confusion will enter into these groups who are trying to steal principles that we have founded in the Constitution. Break it down in yes, Jesus' name. Dissemble yes. these groups. I thought of, well, I won't go. I thought of bring confusion into the delegates yes. so they won't be in agreement. What did Jesus do? What did God do? With the Philippi uh, Philippines, <laughs> Philipp Philippians, he sent confusion into them, yeah. and they started killing each other. Yeah. Let's pray the same thing. Bring confusion yes, into Lord. the enemy that yes. we have fighting our constitution. Yes. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name. Give us that holy boldness to speak forth, to protect our country, protect our rights. Protect those rights of our children being raised up. I thank you, Lord, for the spirit of the Constitution and those who lost a lot by standing firm on that Constitution. So I pray in Jesus' name we would take a stand and raise up what those words say and live it in Jesus' name. And not just give it to another person to handle but each one of us would take that responsibility that we have for future generations. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.